0: I don't know how much you feel about dating, but in, in sixth grade, I had my first girlfriend. And I dated her for about three weeks, and I said after three weeks, it'd be good if I wrote her a love note. And so I start off this love note by saying, dear Jessica, I've known you for three weeks, but it feels like an eternity. <laughs> I thought that was a good line. Whenever I stare into your blue eyes, I get lost in them. And I think I'm starting to fall in love with you. And then I signed, truly yours, Andrew. And I gave her the note. And the next day I saw her in the hallway and I expected her to come running up to me and give me a big hug. But when she saw me, she was a bit apprehensive. And she looked at me, said, Andrew, I don't know if you've noticed, but my eyes are brown and not blue. <laughs> and then she also said, how could you love me? You've only known me for three weeks. And that was probably the most humiliating moment in my short 13-year-old life that I've ever had. And none of us like to be humiliated, do we? Like we don't actually go and chase after, yeah, I'd love to be humiliated today. If you look at the list of fears that people have, people are afraid of uh, heights, people are afraid of death, people are afraid of clowns. But if you look all the way at the top of the list, what are people afraid of the most? Public speaking. And I don't think people are afraid of public speaking the most because they don't know how to speak or they don't have the right words to say, I think people are afraid of public speaking because you're standing here or you're standing in front of a group of people and they're judging you. right? So if you say the wrong word, there's no one to blame that something wrong happened except you. Or if you stand up here and you you forget what to say, and that's just really awkward. That's humiliating and no one wants to be humiliated. But I do have a friend who is willing to be humiliated. In fact, I talked to this person pretty often, and they had a cause that they were going after, and they knew that they would be ridiculed and hated, and yet they were still willing to be humiliated for it. And my friend's name is Jesus, and his cause is close to my heart because his cause is me, and it's you, and he's willing to be humiliated for us. As we're going to see in the scriptures, Jesus suffered and was willing to sacrifice and be hated so that you and I could come close to God. Jesus is willing to forget about himself so that other people could be made right and good. And so I wonder if in this year, in 2015, if you wouldn't join me in saying, hey, this year in 2015, I still want to make resolutions and goals to say I want to improve. But what if this year we could concentrate on forgetting about ourselves and saying I'm willing to be humble. Because I think when we're humble is when we can make the greatest impact in the lives of other people. Because we're saying it's not about us. It's all about Jesus and it becomes all about other people. And so this morning we're going to look at what it looks like to be humble. And I think that the key for us or the big idea this morning is that forgetting yourself is really the pathway to humility. Humility. That forgetting yourself is really a pathway to humility. And so we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and what he's going to say to this church in Philippi about becoming humble people. Because I believe being humble isn't about, man, I was born or I'm just naturally humble. I think humility is actually a choice that you make. So we're going to turn to Philippians uh, chapter 2. If you have it on your phone, that would be awesome. Or on the Bible that you brought. Uh, If you don't have either of those, it's going to be up here on the screen. And I'm going to pray and then we're going to read part of this passage together. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to be here. God, I thank you that we get to celebrate your birth in Christmas. And I pray that that wouldn't just stop in the one holiday, but that it would continue throughout the rest of the year. Pray this morning that I would decrease and that you would increase. And that those who don't know you this morning would, would get a sense that you're real and that you're close. So Jesus, we want to love you more and worship you more in your name. Amen. So we're going to look in in Philippians chapter 2 and Paul, like I said before, is a missionary and he went around and he planted churches and he's talking to this church and there's a little bit of disunity happening. Okay, so some people think, well, I'm better than this person so I'm not going to associate and those other people think, well, I'm just different from these people so I'm not going to associate with them. And Paul's going to give us the key to what it means to forget ourselves and really serve other people. In verses 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. And then here's the part that we want to concentrate on this morning. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul tells us that forgetting about yourself is saying other people are just as valuable, if not more valuable to us. And we don't just look after our own interests, but we look to our other people's interests. He uses two words here to talk about people who really think about themselves and are not humble. He says selfish ambition. Now, don't get me wrong. I think ambition is a great thing. I think we all need to be ambitious people to grow in Christ, to grow in our careers, to love our families, to serve our neighbors. We need to be ambitious. But in the Greek, when you put this word selfish in front of it, it changes. Because now ambition isn't just about, man, I need to get better, I need to grow. Now ambition is, I need to grow and I don't care if it's at the expense of all these other people. Like I'm willing to use people and step on people just so I can get ahead. And so people who are humble don't live off of self-ambition. Of and then he talks about the word vain conceit. And vain conceit in the Greek is really emptiness. And so if you think of the word vain conceit, you're building a wall in front of yourself and you're building this facade. So when people look at you, they see what you want them to see. But really, there's nothing behind it. You can build yourself up so high and so big and yet you can't back up any of it. And that's what empty conceit is about that's what vain conceit about and so the simple solution this morning is this stop living with selfish ambition and stop being full of vain conceit and if we could do that that would be great but there's something that blocks us from being able to forget ourselves and that's pride so pride stops us from forgetting about ourselves Pride tells us that it's impossible to forget about ourselves. And each of us deals and struggles with pride. And if you're in here this morning, you're saying, Andrew, I know you just said everyone does, but I'm doing pretty good. It means you're prideful in that you're actually not prideful. And so pride sneaks up on us. And the kind of pride I'm talking about is not, I'm proud of my daughter, I'm proud of my son for what they've done, I'm proud of my wife because she takes care of our kids and she works and she's so awesome or I'm proud that my company's doing good, or I'm not proud of my football team that they lost three weeks in a row and can't be in the playoffs anymore. We're not talking about that kind of pride. I was talking about the Eagles, though, but I'm not talking about that kind of pride. We're also not talking about the pride that, man, I did such a good job at work, or I did good in this. Pride tricks us and makes us think it's all about how good we are, but C.S. Lewis is going to help us see what pride is really about. He wrote in his book, Miracles, he he talks about pride and, and he says this, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking. But they are not proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. That's us. We're only proud of being more successful or better-looking or more wealthy than the next person. And when someone walks in the room who's better-looking than you, more intelligent than you are, has more money than you are, you stop being proud because the truth is you never took pleasure in those things anyways. Pride tells us that we need to be better than all these other people and what pride says is that you're the most important person in the room. Right? So if you have pride, everyone in the room is less than you. And because you think everyone is less, you don't need God anymore as well. That's what pride says. I'm good. I can handle things. I can do this on my own. Pride tells you you need to put up a wall to block out people so they can't see who you truly are. Pride tells you you don't have to apologize to your wife because you were 95% right and she was only 5% right. Pride just destroys relationships and stops us from thinking about others. And so what do we do about pride? I I think we have to go intentionally against pride and make the choice to be humble. And so every Monday night, my wife and I try to do a devotional date. Because I didn't come up with this concept of, of a devotional date. But we have this book and it has 52 devotional dates in it. And We read a short passage of Scripture and then it tells us a little bit about the Scripture and encourages us in our marriage. And then it has us ask questions to one another. And without fail, at the end, the last question is always this. What can you pray for for your spouse this week? And So that sounds nice, right? Like, like what can I pray for you about? And what I slowly began to realize is that if I really wanted to be honest, I would have to admit weaknesses in my life that I needed my wife to pray for. That I would have to start bringing down this facade that I'm the greatest thing on earth. That I'm the best husband she could ever have. You know, in sort of my worldly nature that's that's not really affected by God sometimes that I I need him to work on, I want to say, hey listen, I'm the best husband you could ever have. Like, you don't need anybody else. I'm going to provide for the family. I'm going to take care of the family. I'm going to save this family. And when I do that, what I'm really saying is I'm taking the place of Jesus in my family. Because when I build myself up, when I don't admit that there's weaknesses, what I'm saying is that I can save our family when Jesus is the one who can save our family. That I can provide for our family when what we really need is Jesus to provide for our family. What I'm saying is I can love our family. They don't need love from anywhere else. And the truth is they need Jesus' love more than anything else. And so when we take the place of pride, when we say we're better than everyone, when we build up walls, we're actually trying to take the place of God. And that's why a trait of followers of Jesus is being humble. And so we need to get rid of pride. But, But how do we get rid of pride so we can forget about ourselves? The Apostle Paul is going to go on to talk to his church about what they need to do. And if we take a cue from experts in the field of coaching and goal setting and resolutions, I think we kind of get a good picture of what we need to do. And so if you're going to set a New Year's resolution or New Year's goal, you don't just say, I'm going to start doing something or stop doing something, right? Because you're going to fail. What you need to do is say, I'm going to start doing this, and when I start doing this, I'll stop doing this. Or you have to say, I'm going to stop doing this, and in place of that, I'm going to start doing something. You have to follow it all the way. So if we're going to forget about ourselves, what are we going to replace that with? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us that we're going to remember Jesus to forget ourselves. So we'll read verses 5 through 8. It says, in your relationships with one another, this is Paul talking to the church, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's saying, here's the example don't do anything out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, love one another over each other. And here's how Jesus did it and here's the example to follow. He said, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death. On a cross. So what's happening here is Paul's probably quoting a hymn from the early church that people used to, to remember Jesus. He's saying Jesus forgot himself so that he could give up his life for us. And when we remember who Jesus is, it helps us to see ourselves clearly. So in verse 6 it tells us that, Jesus was God, but he did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. So here's, this is what it says about Jesus. Jesus is God, and he's together with God. So when Jesus came down, he came down as a man, but he was still fully God and fully man in the same person. That's what we call the hypostatic union. So that's going to be on the test later, so you better remember that. The hypostatic union, that's where Jesus is fully man and fully God in the same thing. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the invisible image of God. So he was there when creation was made and that creation was actually made through Jesus. So Jesus had all this power, all this glory, all this honor, and yet he decided to become poor. When he came down in the form of a human, he decided that he wasn't going to use the privileges, all the privileges that he had, as God. And he was born into a, a poor family in sort of an obscurity. So if you've been watching the news over the, the past couple of years, you know about the British royals, right? Prince William and the Duchess Kate. And for some reason, I don't understand it, everyone in America, it seems like at least the news, is obsessed with these people. And when they had their son, Prince George, you would have think, man, this is the best thing that's ever happened. For two weeks straight, all you heard about was the birth of Prince George, the birth of Prince George, the birth of Prince George. The Canadian mint, the Australian mint, the British mint, they all made coins to commemorate this. This baby had his face on the cover of Time Magazine. I don't even think he's that good looking. Right? All this hoopla, all this attention for this baby who's one day going to be the king of this small island nation. And yet, what attention did Jesus get? Jesus came down in the form of a man. He was born into a family who was really poor. And then there were some signs about his birth that would make him famous, but it couldn't last because his family had to flee to get away from persecution. And then the Bible doesn't tell us much after Jesus was two years old. We don't hear anything until Jesus gets to be about 12 years old. And then we get one really small paragraph that doesn't really tell us much. And then from about the age of 12 to 30, we hear nothing. It's completely silent. And so we have to assume that Jesus lived in obscurity. He forgot about himself. And even after Jesus' ministry started, when he became 30 years old, he drew attention to himself, but not so that people could love him or praise him or be close to him, but so that people could see their need to be close to God. And that's why Jesus drew attention to himself, because he was willing to forget himself. And when it comes to us, we're not great at forgetting about ourselves, right? And, and here's how it happens. We look around the room and we say, man, I'm better dressed than this person. Or I'm more liked than this person. Or I have more followers on Twitter than this person. Or I have more money than this person. And when we start to look around and, and base our self-image off of that, what we're doing is, is believing a lie that we're somehow great and awesome and we deserve everything that we have and we deserve even what other people have. And yet that's basically a balloon that gets popped when you start comparing yourself to Jesus. Because now you can't say, man, I'm so good and so godly. Because Jesus was perfect and you messed up today. And now you can't say, I'm I'm so rich because Jesus had the entire world. And everything that you think is so awesome about you and so good about you pales in comparison to Jesus. And so when you remember who Jesus is, you can see yourself clearly. Because no longer are you this awesome person, but, but you're a person who needed Jesus to die for you. Romans 5, 8 tells us that when, when we were still sinners, while we were still helpless, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. And so you can't lift yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't make yourself better. There was no way you could get yourself to God without Jesus. And so this idea that That we deserve something, that we're awesome, gets deflated when we start to look at Jesus and see who he is. And so when we remember who Jesus is, we can start to see ourselves clearly. And here's one thing we don't need to do. We don't say, we're worthless and we're no good. Because your value doesn't actually come from what other people think about you. Your value comes from knowing that you're loved and cared for by Jesus. And so when we remember who Jesus is, we can see ourselves clearly. And Paul's not going to stop there. He, he's going to remind them again that it's not just about well, who Jesus is, but it's about what he did. And so when we remember what Jesus did, now we can put others before ourselves. So let's look at verse 7. It says, Jesus, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus came down and he was human, the passage says. We call this the incarnation. It's the Latin word, which means uh, a deity has become flesh. So we call Jesus the God-man because he came down and he was still God and yet He had to face all the things that we have to face in our daily lives. You think, man, Jesus must have had it so easy because he was God. But scripture tells us, especially in Hebrews chapter 2, that we have a high priest, Jesus, who knows what it's like to be tempted and can empathize with us in all that we go through because he was tempted like we were. And then Jesus, he never suffered before this point, but when he came down on earth, he had all the ailments that humans face. And he felt pain and suffering. And Jesus was innocent and he had to face this really unfair trial. And he was tortured. And he was scourged and he had his beard pulled out. And he was beaten and then worst of all, he was nailed onto a cross like a slave would be. He was willing to forget about himself because he could have said, you know what? These people aren't really important my comfort." Is the most important. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to forget about myself. See, we don't see any pride in Jesus. Because he said, it's not about me. It's all about these people. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says something profound. And I've shared this with our hospitality team before. But it says that Jesus did all this for the joy set before him. So he knew what was coming. He humiliated himself by becoming a person because he did it, because he knew the joy that would come to the people who could finally come to know God and be a part of him. But not only did Jesus become a human, he also became a slave. And if you you read this passage in sort of the original language, it says he took the very nature of a servant. But that really means that he became a slave. And a slave in Jesus' time didn't own anything. They didn't even know the clothes on their back. They didn't have any privileges, and their lives belonged to their master. And so think about this. If, if you became a slave, you're serving someone else 24 hours a day. You don't have any will. You don't get to choose, well, I'd rather do this and not that. You give yourself for someone else, and that's what Jesus did for us, that he gave his life. And so I wonder, this year and in the coming year, are we willing to say, I can live for others because of what Jesus did for me because I realize it's not about me. There's times when we say, I don't want to give up my time or energy for these people because it'll drain me. Or I can't give to this or I can't help this person out because my, I need to make sure my bank account is the most important thing. Have you ever thought, man, I can't invest my life into them because I'm already too busy. I already have too much going on. And and the truth is, can you be like Jesus and say, I'm going to forget myself so that I can put other people first? Because when you remember who Jesus is and what he did, that's exactly what you'll do. You say, I can forget about myself and live for others. And so how do we remember Jesus? I think it comes down to this. You remember Jesus when you start to savor the Savior. I don't know It sounds a little corny to savor the Savior, but I, I want you to remember it, that you'll remember Jesus when you savor the Savior. You spend a lot of time at Christmas thinking about Jesus and thinking about all that he did, but, but we need that to go even further. And so in verses 9 through 11, it says this, Therefore God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, And under the earth, and every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our picture of Jesus shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be Jesus hanging on the cross. That wasn't the end. Jesus died, he was buried, and then three days later he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended into heaven so that you and I have the hope of one day that when we leave this life, that we'll be able to be with God in heaven one day. And so Jesus turns out to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He had this humble birth. He lived a humble life. And yet people missed it that he was the true King of kings. And one day, whether you believe in Jesus or not, all the people who believe in him and all the people who don't, one day their knees are going to bow and their tongues are going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And that doesn't mean that they're his children or that they're his people, but it's just going to be such an obvious fact And so our job as followers of Jesus is to make this king famous. If you you thought Jesus was sort of just an add-on to your life, and you say, yep, I put my faith in him and now I'm saved, you're getting it wrong. Your job as a follower of Jesus is to make this king famous. Help other people see how he's worked in your life, and how he's working in your life, and how you don't have it right yet, but he still loves you and he still cares for you because our value is really in God's eyes. It doesn't come from what other people think about us, what they feel about us. It doesn't come by how high we can get on the corporate ladder or how much money is in our bank account. Our value really comes from being known that we're loved and serving Jesus, even though we don't get it right, even though we don't always put God first, even though we don't always put other people first, even though we don't serve them. He loves us and cares for us. So what does it mean to savor Jesus? What does it mean to savor the Savior? It means that you make time for Jesus. It means that you spend time in His Word. It means that you come to church on Sunday mornings and you worship Him. And you read and you try to grow because you want to savor all that God did because you know if you can get that right... If you can get that savoring part right, if you can remember Jesus, then those other ways that you're supposed to live are going to fall into place in your life. And pride's going to tell you, guess what? Your job is too important. You don't have enough time to spend with Jesus. He's going to say your hobbies make you who you are. And so you can't push some hobbies out of the way to spend time with Jesus. He's going to say, guess what? Your, your money and your security and your money is too important, so, so you can't give that away. That's what pride says. Pride says, I'm the most important And what Jesus said the example for is how we forget ourselves because he forgot himself. There's a story about a man and his family didn't go to church that much, but every Christmas Eve they went faithfully. But one Christmas Eve he decided, I can't live this lie anymore. I can't do it. He said, so he told his family, I I don't really believe in God, so you go to Christmas Eve service and I'll see you when you get back. And so his family drove away and he's sitting in front of the fire with his newspaper. And he's reading and all of a sudden he hears thumps outside of his house. And they keep hitting the side of his house over and over again. He thinks it's kids throwing snowballs. So he just waits for it to stop. And it doesn't stop. And so he he goes out the door angrily looking for these kids. And he doesn't see anybody but he sees a flock of birds and they're hitting the side of the house. See these birds got stuck in the storm and they're they're flying, trying to get in the house into the warmth. And so he has compassion for these birds, and, and he has a barn across the way, and he, he tries to shoo the birds into the barn, but they don't go. And then he leaves a trail of bread and, and tries, to, tries to coerce the birds to go with the bread and get in the barn and be warm and safe, but they keep banging against the house and banging against the house. And the man sort of gives up hope, and he says this, he says, I'm a human and these are birds and I, they can't understand me and the story goes at that, that moment he had the church bells and he realized that's what God was like that God was here and humans were here and maybe there's a disconnect but there wasn't because God sent Jesus down for a human to speak to humans to point them to Jesus So this morning, each person in this room has an opportunity to say, I want to follow a God like that. I want to follow a God who didn't just say, I'm up here, worship me, serve me, but a God who came down on our level, got in the mess and the murkiness of what we face on a daily basis and was willing to give his life so that we could be made right. And if you want to say, I'll follow that God today, You can do that just by saying, Jesus, I want to give my life over to you. I want to follow you. I ask that you would forgive my sins. And I'm going to do the best to follow you the rest of my life. He leaves it open for us. If you want to do that today after the service, you can come. And I'll pray with you. And you can follow Jesus. For the rest of us, I have some questions. First question is, do you have the right perspective about yourself? See, Jesus had everything. He had all the good things in life. He was the most powerful person, and yet he decided to come down and make himself less. So the question is, how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as better than everyone? Do you view yourself as something special because of what you do or because of who you are? Or do you see yourself as someone who's in need of Jesus, who's in need of someone to save you? Because when you get that, you'll start to forget about yourself because you'll say, I'm not that great, but God is. Now this fear that some of us in here would say, I'm not good. I'm not great. And truth is, you're right. But the most encouraging thing is that Jesus loves you anyways and so you're valuable in his eyes my second question for you is how can you serve others around you maybe in today maybe this week maybe it's in 2015 how are you going to serve those around you how are you going to give up your time and your energy and your money and your strength to serve those, to invest in someone's life. Maybe it's a coworker that no one really likes that you need to invest to. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you just need to say, I'm gonna put some hobbies away for a time so I can love my family and serve them. Maybe it's a next door neighbor that that doesn't have anyone around. How can you serve someone? When you're thinking about how you want this next year to play out, what if you said, not only am I gonna become better or grow or I want to accomplish this but what if you said I'm going to make it a point to serve these people then my last question is how are you savoring Jesus is that happening in your life because I've seen it in my own life so many times that when I choose not to remember Jesus life becomes about me becomes about my wants, my comfort and it becomes less about other people and so the question is how are you going to savor Jesus in this year. We're going to take a minute to reflect why Vinnie plays, and I want you to ask yourself, which one of those things do you need to grow in? Is it about seeing yourself in the right light? Is it about serving other people around you? Or is it about savoring Jesus? feel like I should share this story with you Uh, when I visited Israel I got to see the place where Jesus was kept before his trial and down in the basement of that place was a prison and we don't see it in the scriptures but Jesus was probably kept in, in that prison while he was waiting and a friend of mine and I got to go down and and be there. And It really hit me that Jesus was in prison, that Jesus was sitting there tortured and suffering because of me. And I think I just cried for a while while I was down there. And I realized later that it was the greatest act of love that has ever happened. And so for us today, forgetting about ourselves is really all about loving Jesus and loving others. So as we leave this morning, I pray that our hearts could be set towards that. How are we going to love others and love Jesus? I'll pray and then we could be dismissed. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for speaking to us, working in our hearts and minds. I pray that you continue to do that as we leave. I pray that we'd be people who forget about ourselves, Who are willing to make concessions for other people, even though they seem weak. That we could serve those who don't even deserve to be served by us. Help us to draw closer to you in this new year and run towards you when we need to. In your name, Jesus, amen.